Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is the SLOB Factor by Pastor Liz Rod. We're going to share a couple of um, different ladies' lives that, you know, they were very faithful women of God. And I think we can learn some great lessons. One of my favourite scriptures is that from Mark 12. We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And, you know, sometimes I think the reason that that strength has been tacked on, because sometimes in our own strength we can't manage, can we? You know, we want to love God with all our heart. I believe that for every person that's here today. I believe that every one of us would love to love God with every fibre of our being, of our heart. I believe we'd love to love him with our soul and we'd like to hand over our mind because I tell you what, sometimes the things that go through my mind, God really needs to take charge. But, you know, to do that, we have to submit to his will and we have to be prepared to be able to let him be our strength. You know, I've got a question for you, and I'm going to ask you at the beginning of my message, but I'm also going to ask you at the end. When you're out in the highways and the byways, do people see you as being different to people of the world? You know, it's a big question, isn't it? Because we are called to be different. We are called to submit to the will of God. And the world, as Kate was talking about submissiveness earlier in her communion message, the world sees submission as being downtrodden. And I love everything in God's economy because he takes it and he tips it upside down, doesn't he? As just as he does with our lives when we become saved. Everything that is in God's economy is completely different. And it's really freeing. Yes, I've got a vibration. Can we do something about that? I don't think it's me vibrating. Okay. All good? Okay. All right, so let's have a look. You know, I, I saw a great quote this week. And it said that we need to have faith enough to have the courage to let God take control. So as I pray, as we open the word of God this morning, I'd like that to be something that you would ponder on. Do we have enough faith and courage to be able to let God take control of our lives? The ladies uh, we're going to look at in scripture today are a lady called Hannah, who's one of my favourites. Talk about a lady who was desperate and sad and needed God. And the other lady is Mary, who was mother of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at their lives and how God changed their lives forever. And in doing so, he actually had his bigger plan and purpose fulfilled. You know, we're called as an act of worship. We're called to obedience. We're called to look at the instructions that we receive in God's word and to follow them. And, you know, that's a tough gig. It really is. Kate was saying how she's challenged by the scriptures that she shared with us this morning. And, you know, I think that's a good thing because while God's challenging, we're listening, aren't we? We're open and we're ready. And the Bible calls upon us to be teachable. Now, that's not always easy because when we grow up, we're a little bit tired of being told what to do. You know, I have an 18-year-old grandson who keeps saying, now I'm an adult. And so I diminish that a little bit. I say, you mean a kid alt because you're still at school and you're still under your mother's roof. But, you know, as I said, we, we, we like to think that we can be in control. But there are times in our life when we are utterly 
and hopelessly helpless without God. I look at the people of the world and I see people who are struggling emotionally, struggling, you know, in all manner with addictions, all sorts of things, simply because when we make the decisions in our life, sometimes it goes awry. Now, I'm going to teach you today how to be a slob. How do you like that? When Sean preached a few weeks ago about the God factor, straight away with my eccentric thinking, it just slipped into my head. But, you know, what we're looking at is, as I said, everything's upside down in God's economy. So we're going to look at today the S being a surrendered servant heart. That's a great place to be. You know, L, letting go and letting God be our divine director. And I'll explain why I've used that term in just a moment. O is for an obedient heart. That's that submission that Kate was talking about earlier. And a believing heart, trusting his word and trusting that God's bigger plan is going to be the right one for us. Now, there's no one size fits all, just as there's no one size fits all in people or our personalities or our backgrounds or our experiences. But the beautiful thing about God's plan, it's always going to be the best plan. Now, I'm going to tell you something a little bit interesting about myself. Um, Nearly 30 years ago, I had another career, and uh, it was a little bit interesting. Some of you know that I worked in special education, but I also had a time as a movie star. Hey, hey, how about that? Hey, I was a frequent flyer down at the Movie World Studios down there, and they let me walk on and walk off in many a scene. And so, I, but I was fascinated by how a film comes to life. You know, you have a look at the background and in itself, if it's not on site, if it's not away at a location, it is really quite interesting how they can bring something to life. And, you know, there are cast members, there are extras like myself. There's the catering, thank goodness, because we would put in nearly 12-hour days sometimes. And when you're looking at the same plate of food, if you're in a restaurant scene, it needs to be fairly interesting if you're going to have to pretend to eat it for 12 hours. You know, everything would happen, and it would all depend on the directions of the director. The director is the one who makes everything happen. Without his direction, the film crew don't know when to and how close to come in. The sound people don't know what to do. The actors don't know what to do. And part of my fascination with being an extra, of course, I got paid, which wasn't bad, and I got fed, I got my hair done, I got my makeup done, got to wear some pretty funky clothes. And I was in better shape then, so they looked better too. But, you know, uh, you met all sorts of interesting people from all different backgrounds. But above all, what I really enjoyed, hello, was watching all the stars, the people who were the important people. Yes, we've still got a, still got a buzz. Okay. Yeah, so I, I love watching all the important people, the people who, you know, came out and briefly gave you a nod if you were lucky. They were the people whose names were in the big letters. And if you were lucky, if you were one of the minor characters like myself, you got a little mention in the credits at the end. But you know what? I love being a background person because, as some of you will know, I'm a people person, I'm a people watcher, and I love watching the way that people react. The famous people, the B-grade stars were the best because they thought they were really special and, you know, most of them I couldn't tell you their name. But, you know, it was fascinating for me. 
You know, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, and we've been looking at this on Sunday nights, that there's a season for everything. Well, this was a rather fun season in my life. I got to do a few movies. I actually got to be on set with Olivia Newton-John at one stage, seeing her names in the in the news quite a bit. Her daughter Chloe was making her film debut and mum was there looking after. But I was fascinated by watching the director. And I saw this one particular young man in my years, about 10 years of doing this sort of work, who started off as just one of the, the background people on the crew. But he moved up little by little until he was the director. And so he knew all about the workings. He knew what it was to work in all those different jobs. Uh, you know, Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, whatever we do, work heartily, and I've got in brackets here, with all your heart, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I don't know that I thought about that too much when I was looking at things, but I do now. Everything we do, when we go out in the highways and byways, when you're in the traffic, when you are, you know, maybe in working in your, um, your workplace or you're at school, if you're still at school, how do people perceive you? Are you different to the people of the world? You know, Paul's not saying just work hard, but he's saying do it with the entirety of your heart and soul. Put all that you are into what we're assigned to do. Sorry, I'm just going to grab my water. I should have brought it with me. Yeah, and so, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you are here at church being your Sunday person, or whether you are out in the about Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday... Uh, how are we perceived by the people around us? You know, the, the guy you buy your coffee off, your family, your friends, how do they see you? Do they see you as holding everything that you do as being something as if you're working for the Lord? It's an interesting question. Is your life uh, surrendered to him in a way that is visible to people? You know, my family know that Sundays are off-bounds. If we're having a family celebration, if we're doing anything, Sundays mornings and Sunday evenings are off the list. We don't have anything at that time because they know that this is where I want to be. I want to be here in church with you. I mean, in Matthew 25, when we read the parable of the ten talents, we hear the words that all of us want to hear. We want to hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, and tell us that when we've been faithful over a little, that he's going to set us over much. And that this is a line that really touches my heart. Enter the joy of your master. That's, that's really, isn't it? That's the one that really gets it. So the slob factor, a servant heart, letting go and letting God, being obedient or submissive, and believing and having the courage to know that when God comes along and he jumps into our life, that if he's going to do things differently to the way you and I might have planned. You know, uh, in Proverbs, I'm just trying to think which particular scripture it is. I'll find it later. But we're told that many of the plans of man, but God's plans are the ones that are going to stand. Uh, you know, and so I learned a long time ago that God was going to come along and change my life. Uh, you know, we, as I said, when we read this, what stands out for me in when you see the full scripture is it says that love your Lord, the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And of course, it goes on to say that you need to love your neighbour as yourself. But it does tell us that there are no greater commandments than these. That's a lot of alls, isn't it? That means everything. It means that God says, I want you to give me every part of who you are. When we had our own church, my husband quite often would stand up and say, people will say in churches they just want your money. And he would say, we want a lot more than that, which, of course, as you can imagine, people were ready for flight. He'd say, God wants all of you. He wants every part of you. It's not about money. It's not about... He wants you to give, and he wants you to give with a willing heart, to be able to surrender every part of who we are. So let's quickly go to 1 Samuel because time is ticking on because I want to share with you um, this beautiful lady. You know, uh, where is she? Hannah. Hannah, you know, she's, she's a nobody, an absolute nobody. You know, she's not even, you know, coming up to the bar because Jewish women in, the, in her day were expected to get married, to produce children and to look after a household. Now, she is a second wife of a man called Elkanah. And, you know, she's barren. This poor lady, no matter what, year after year, she goes to the temple when they go for her annual trip up to Shiloh from the little village in the hills where they live. They go up there and she keeps praying. She keeps asking God to give her a child. You know, she's... She's not angry, she's not disrespectful, she's not, you know, saying to God, where on earth are you, why have you done this to me? Because when we come to scripture, if you have a look in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, it actually says that the Lord had closed her womb. And he doesn't say it once, the writer, he says it twice. And so you think, why would God do that? And, you know, is he mean? Is he mean-spirited? Is he heartless? Why is he doing that? But as we go on, we read a little bit later. So this particular year, you know, she's really tired. If you have a look in the background picture here, this is Pen and I, or I always think of Panini. I must have a very food-orientated mind. But, you know, because she's got that unusual name. But, you know, this lady was able to have children. And because she was Alcana's other wife, uh, she tormented poor Hannah terribly, which was very cruel. She, you know, she gave her a really, really difficult time. But what I love about Hannah is, when I read through the scripture, there's no sign of retaliation. She, her heart is just grieving. Now, one of the songs we sang today was about pouring out our heart, pouring out our soul. And let's just have a look how Hannah does that. Uh, you know, she and her husband uh, and the family go up to Shiloh this particular year to make sacrifices in the temple. And uh, Hannah is just absolutely bereft. We don't know how many years, but it does say year after year they went to the temple. And, you know, Elkanah can't understand it. He actually loves Hannah and he is not unhappy about the fact that she hasn't been able to produce a child. In fact, he says, and men, please don't take this offensively, but, you know, he says, aren't I enough for you? Aren't I worth ten sons? In other words, you've got me. (laughs) What more could any woman want? (laughs) 
I love being in the pulpit when Sean's away. But anyway, uh, uh, so let's go to verse 10. She was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That means she, you know, she wasn't just having a sob. It was one of those, and ladies, you will know this, when everything shakes and you can't talk, you are so bereft, so full of sorrow, so full of just feeling powerless in in a particular situation. She wept bitterly. Verse 11 says, And she vowed, avowed, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, it was not uncommon for people to uh, have that Nazarite vow over their children. But what was uncommon is that that she is actually saying for all his life. Because the Nazarite vow was one that could be made just for a season. So she's signing this baby that she's asking up, this son, to be able to serve the Lord all the days of his life. Now, verse 12, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. I think it was last week, Sean said something about when you assume makes an ass out of you and me. Well, Eli assumed. He saw her there on the steps of the temple and made an assumption. And he says to her, how long will you go on being drunk? How, uh, put your wine away from you. But Hannah, as if it wasn't bad enough, I mean, you know, here she is, breaking a heart, pouring out her soul to the Lord. And this guy comes along and says, you know, you worthless woman, you're drunk, sit, get, you know, leave my temple stairs virtually. And so he, she says to him, very humbly, do not regard your servant as a worthless, uh, sorry, as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And she's already told him that she's not been drinking. She's just greatly troubled. This lady is in a desperate place. She doesn't know what to do. And so she brings her, what she calls her affliction because she sees it as an affliction, she comes before the Lord and she asks him to break this drought, to make her no longer barren. Okay, so we're moving along. Uh, You know, uh, then the woman went... Sorry, where are we? Eli then responds. He realises that this woman is just very desperate and petitioning the Lord. And so he answers in a much kinder way and he says, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went away and she was able to eat. Before this, before she came to the temple, when the earlier part of the scripture, it says she was so bereft, she couldn't even eat. And, you know, here's her husband wanting to give her a double portion. He's wanting to try and compensate for her sadness. And and so and the line that I love most at the end of that particular uh, piece of scripture says, and her face was no longer sad. What happened is, and it's our bottom line, of she believed. She believed that she had petitioned a loving God. She believed she had petitioned 
and she was going to go away now and she believed that that petition would be granted. So it says in verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and then they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew his woman, not Al-Qaeda, and uh, the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. But that's not the end of Hannah's story, and we're going to move along fairly quickly because I want to get to Mary. Now, this dear lady, you know, she now has this beautiful son. And, you know, she's made a vow to God. Now, you know, I don't know about you. Have you ever said to God in your prayer, maybe in your early Christian days, if you do this for me, I'll do that. We think we can bargain with God when we're young Christians, I think. And uh, even with kids, you know, I think they sometimes think that, that they can wheel and deal. Let's make a deal. But, you know, the thing is, now that she's got this son, what's Hannah going to do? Because she's promised him to the Lord. You know, this son that she waited on year after year, this son that took her out of the disgrace of being a Jewish woman that couldn't conceive a child, that she felt that she was a failure in her society, what's she going to do? She's going to have to come, you know, back to the temple at some point. And let's read on and see what she does. So for the first few years... She doesn't go back to the temple. She's looking after her son, enjoying her time with him. Now, some of you may think that after two or three years, you'd like to hand your kids back in when they go through what they call the terrible twos. But Hannah is just preparing. She's raising this child ready to take him to the temple. And so we read a little bit further along in verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah for flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they go on to talk about the sacrifice being made. And then she, she goes, and this is what she says in verse 26. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. She's speaking to Eli, the priest. For this child I have prayed, and God has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? How do you do that? When you have really desired something, that's like praying to God for a great job and then saying, I'm not going to have it now. I'm, you know, praying to God for something. But, you know, as is it, she takes him up and not only does she give her son to the Lord for service, but she also takes a sacrifice. This woman is overjoyed about being able to return a gift to God. Now, let's have a look at Hannah's prayer. And this is where it's going to get interesting. And there's a big similarity here, even though Mary's story is completely different about the conception of her son. But what I do love about them, and, you know, it wouldn't be a Sunday if I didn't mention a cat. You know, in Sean's Sean's, um, absence today, I really feel that I need to mention the cat. I'm not going to talk about my cat, but I'm going to talk about the word magnificat. Now, that... (laughs) 
that doesn't mean, I mean, Sean makes my cat a celebrity. Only Jesus and my cat get a mention here at the pulpit every single Sunday in this church. But that's not what I'm doing. Contrary to the fact that he thinks I'm a cat worshipper, I want to talk about the Magnificat. Now, when the Magnificat is a Latin word and it means my soul exalts the Lord. Now, we were singing that this morning. We were, we were doing that. We were praising the Lord. We're telling him that we love him. We're telling him that he's worthy. We're telling them that him that we want to serve him. Don't, that's what magnify means. So listen to Hannah's prayer, her Magnificat, in uh, chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Talk no, talk no more so very proudly let your, and let not arrogance come out from your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. I won't go on with the whole lot but I'm going to come down now if you're following in your Bible. He says here in verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. That's that coming into the the honouring of the Lord. A little bit further down, it tells us that he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in the darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. And we'll move on now, because I want to talk to you about Mary. But isn't Hannah a remarkable woman? You know, for me, she's humble. She's faithful to her promise. She's a woman that didn't give up. You know, how hard would it be when you've got this other woman living in the same house every day, rubbing it in your nose that you are a failure in the terms of the society that you live in? How would that feel? And then finally, finally, she goes and she cries out to the Lord. She's granted this beautiful son. She's got him long enough to be able to have him, to learn to really love him. You know, those first few years with a child, we hear them laugh, we hear them talk, we watch them walk, we see all those things, all those developmental stages that are just so exciting. Mind you, the trouble starts when they can walk and talk. I firmly believe that. But, you know, as I said, and then she's called upon to honour the vow that she made to God and she does it willingly and obediently. Now, you know her reward? Later on, it tells us in Scripture that she has another three sons and two daughters. The Lord doesn't leave her without compensation for the gift that she's got. You know, we look at Mary. So if we move over to Luke 1, please. You know, this is a a beautiful story. And, you know, I mean, again, this dear lady, and she's not even a lady, she's a girl. She's a teenage girl, betrothed. Have you ever had all your plans mapped out? I did this when I was a teenager because I thought I knew everything and that there are occasions God has to remind me even now I don't. But, you know, as I said, I had all my plans, all my ducks in a row. I was going to do this and this and this and this. And let me tell you, none of them involved children. I now have four children and 11 grandchildren 
and a whole heap of others that I have looked after in the course of my life. Does God have a sense of humour or not? Yes, he does. Okay, so let's just move down to Luke, uh, verse 26. And this tells the story, of course, of Mary. Now, Mary's just expecting. She's betrothed. And that's a very traditional Jewish thing. It is expected that you will get married and that you will, again, produce children. That's your job. That's what, you know, young Jewish women aspired to. That was it. A job done. So, of course, we see Mary and, and, and she all of a sudden gets a visit from Gabriel. Now, when the angel's named, that God's sending an important messenger. He's not just sending, you know, one of his minor, not the extras. This is the star. The star angel comes to see Mary. And, of course, you know, she's a little bit confused. I don't think many of us wouldn't be a bit, um, a little bit disturbed if an angel came through the door, especially if he's holding a lightning bolt in his hand, then I'd be really worried. But, you know, he says to her, greetings, O favoured one. Now, that would worry me too. Uh, Karen and Anna will attest to this. When we're in the office and Sean says to me, Elizabeth, and then there's a pause, it usually means that he's already signed me up for a job. You know, something that he's already decided that we're going to do. Something, you know, something small like hosting the A2A, uh, you know, regional lunch or something like that. So, of course, when Mary has this angel come and says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. It would have been a little bit troubling. Remember, she's only a very young girl. And uh, we move on very quickly here. And uh, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In verse 30, the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And behold, oh, sorry, where are we? I've lost my spot. Uh, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Well, I'd rather hear that then you're in trouble with God, I suppose. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, in that, that's not all that disconcerting because that's probably the expectation moving along that she will get married. And yes, you have a son, and if God wants me to call him Jesus, well, that's okay too. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now it's getting a bit interesting. And the Lord God will give him... Uh, to him, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Mary isn't arguing with God here, or with the angel of God, the messenger, but in verse 34, she says, but how will this be, since I am a virgin? Because, of course, the penny's dropped now. She didn't say that, you know, uh, that Joseph's going to be the father. She's saying that this is going to have a different, this child's going to have a different heritage. And so we, we read here, and the angel answered her, oh, sorry, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There will, sorry, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has already conceived. Now, he's telling her that because, of course, Elizabeth was barren. She was old. And Mary's had a visit from her to let her know that she's conceived in her old age. So what God's doing is saying, don't think for a minute that this can't happen because look what's happened to your relative Elizabeth. And so, you know, I suppose it would have taken a minute or two to register. But listen to Mary's response. Move down to, um, to verse 
to verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so all here we have this young woman, all her nice, neat plans, all, all her ducks all arranged in a row nicely, everything going along just as it should for a very ordinary young woman growing up in, in a Jewish society. And all of a sudden, God comes along and he does this. And he, he you know, what a, talk about throw a spanner in your works. But listen to what she says. Uh, we're moving down into uh, verse 39. And as I said, we, we read a little bit about her going and being greeted by Elizabeth. We know the story there that the child in Elizabeth's um, womb uh, leaps because she knows that Mary has this wonderful gift of God. And, and she says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to Methodist Mary? And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, sorry, that's Elizabeth speaking to Mary, leapt for joy. And she, uh, sorry, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilling of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, again, we're coming back to the cats. The Magnificat of Mary. Let's have a look. This is what Mary says in response to what Elizabeth has spoken to her. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has looked <coughs> sorry, <coughs> upon the humble estate of his servant. And for, for behold, from now on, All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Because, of course, Mary, even though she is probably only um, a little bit educated in the Lord, she knows that a saviour has been promised. She knows that there is going to be a time when a child will be born. Because this is what Galatians 4.4 tells us. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, So Mary would have been aware that right back in Genesis, even though she might not have had access to the education that men would have in her day, she knew that there was a promised seed. This is what God tells us in Genesis 3.15, that there is a promised seed. And, you know, I look back at Hannah and I think of her 
her cry of praise, her exalting of the Lord. And Mary, Mag- Mary does exactly the same thing. She magnifies the Lord. And, you know, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? If you magnify something, it means that uh, it, it becomes larger. So what she's doing is saying that God is huge in my life. That's what happened to Hannah. And that's what Jesus, the birth of Jesus, means for you and I. It means that God becomes real. He's not that distant God. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Sean was talking about this. You know, when we look at something at a distance, it's very small. But when we come closer, uh, we see that that same object, object is huge. So when we draw closer to God, when we allow him to be a major part of our life, he takes on the proportions that of a sovereign God, a magnificent and enormous God. You know, both women referred to themselves as maidservants. And there's that comparison because a maidservant is down here. So when she, both ladies are speaking to, to the Lord and, and telling them that they're going to honour him, they, you know, they're seeing him as up here. They're seeing him as the director of their lives and they're seeing themselves as a very minor cast member in the story that he's putting together, that he's bringing to life. Okay. All right, so let's have a look. You know, you and I have been set apart. You know, whether we're, you know, a a minor cast member or whether we've been assigned a bigger role in, in the Lord's house. But every single person, if you've been called, we are asked to be worthy of that calling. So what does that mean? It simply means that if we take on board the slob factor, if we go back to that, it means that God has asked us to be his servants. But, you know, he's a good boss. You know, I said this to someone the other day. They said to me, is it okay for you to come and have lunch with me? And I said, I've got a great boss. And immediately they thought I was talking about Sean, but I wasn't talking about him at all. I was talking about my boss, the real boss, you know. And as I said, I say that to people all the time. You know, before they know what I do for a living, you know, they say, oh, you know, Uh, talking about their workplace, and I said, oh, look, you couldn't beat my boss. I've got the best boss. Not only is he the most powerful, but he's the most beautiful, he's the most loving, he's the most wonderful, he's the most inspiring. Oh, really, what do you do? And then I tell them. And then usually they they revise whatever conversation they've had before that and think, oh, do I need to go to the confessional? Okay. You know, we're told all along that, 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 uh, you know, that there are things that are going to happen that we're not going to understand. You know, there are mysteries. Sometimes God is doing something and we have absolutely no idea until way past it. Has that ever happened to you? I remember when my husband got cancer and we became proper Christians back then. But, you know, they, uh, we had the elders of a church, church, people we didn't even know, came and they said, can we pray for you? Sure. You know, why not? We're trying um, Peruvian tea. Uh, you know, uh, bark, uh, we're trying, uh, you know, this crazy diet that's making us all nuts. We're trying all sorts of things. I drew, drew the line at going and doing rainbow colours under a, a triangle, a pyramid thing. I, once we got to that, I thought, no, this is crazy. But coffee enemas, I'm talking about nutty stuff, crazy stuff. We tried everything. And so when somebody comes and says, do you want to be saved? Of course we did. We wanted to be saved from cancer. I was sick of reading about it. I was sick of living it. I was sick of every day. Cancer was the word over life. So you know what we did? We substituted C for G, a big G, a capital G. And everything from that point changed. 
Our career options changed, our life changed, our family changed, our perception day by day, but it didn't happen straight away. And you know what? That's why now I won't sing for you. I won't sing a song of praise because that could upset you all and you'd all want to, you'd need more than coffee when you go out the back. But you know, many are the plans in the mind of a man. I had plans. I was going to do this. And you know, and I'm sure for all of us at some point, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And God has come into every one of our lives with his bigger plan. And, you know, he takes our miserable little blueprint that we've got and he puts his over the top and all of a sudden we have so much more. And, you know, Hannah had a plan. You know, all she wanted when she went to God was just a little boy to enjoy motherhood for a short time even though she was going to give him back. She wanted her disgrace lifted. She didn't want the other woman, Penanai or Panini as I like to call her, she didn't want her poking fun at her anymore. Her world was only small, but all of a sudden, God needed a prophet. And if we look at um, at 1 Samuel 2, 35, it actually says that God, let me read it so I get it accurately, 2.35, it's God himself that says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. He will do whatever it is in my heart and mind, and I will build for him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed for one and all time. God had a bigger plan, you know, much bigger than Hannah imagined. And I'm sure when Mary, I mean, it would have been a bit of a mind blower, wouldn't it? I mean, fancy getting hit between the eyes with the fact that you're going to be the son of God, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and all of a sudden you're going to be the Messiah, especially when you're a teenage girl. Goodness, you can't get your head around... um, you know, whether to squeeze your pimples or not at that age. You know, seriously. So all of a sudden, here she is with God saying, don't worry about what you thought your future is. You know, this is what I've got mapped out for you. And what does she say? Yes, I'm your maidservant. You know, let it be as you say. You know, James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Both these ladies were humble before the Lord. And you know, if you and I come humbly before the Lord, our gift might be small. Our gift might, we might not even think we've got a gift. We might actually think, what could I possibly have to offer the Lord? But he says, don't you worry about that, darling. I've got the details all mapped out. And in time, he shows us his blueprint. I think at first, though, he doesn't frighten us. He puts a little blueprint. And then later on, we, we, as we get more revelation, he starts to show exactly what it is. You know, uh, someone else, someone else who we will mention today because it is who we should be talking about, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of that SLOB. I won't call him a slob because that's not respectful. But Jesus was the ultimate servant. He really was. I mean, you know, look at Philippians 2, and Kate shared part of this this morning, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, and this is the best part, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of a cro- on a cross. That's what our Jesus did for us, and he's our example. You know, uh, Mark 10, 4 said, uh, 45, sorry, says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for a ran- uh, as a ransom for many. And that's us. He came, firstly and foremost, to set Israel free because they were in bondage. They were in bondage to the law. They were in bondage to their Roman captors. They were in bondage big time. So all of a sudden, here we see, you know, that uh, Jesus comes and all of a sudden there's hope. You know, with Hannah, Hannah went away, uh, you know, once again with her hope restored. Mary didn't even know what lie ahead about having to raise her son to go into his father's service. But what she did know was that if she obeyed, that there was going to be something that really magnificent in God's plan that was going to happen way beyond her. Okay, Uh, let's have a look. I'll just see if I'm trying to cut, cut down a little bit here now. Okay. Luke 22, 24 to 27. You know, this was, there was a dispute broken out in the disciples. You know, here they are. Jesus has just told them he's about to, you know, create, or he did create the Lord's Supper. He did tell them about the new covenant. And we celebrated that this morning right here. But all of a sudden, you know, they start to argue about who's the most important. You know what? Jesus tells them otherwise. You know, he says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, in other words, lower down in the food chain, and he who governs as he who serves. For he, sorry, for who is greater he who sits at the table or he who serves. It is not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. This is a man who's washed their feet, who has given them a whole new perspective about what's going to happen. So, you know, you and I have a wonderful future in God. But I've got a couple of questions for you. I'm going to come back to the one at the beginning. Do people see us as different? Are we humble? Are we people who look at our place at the Lord's table? Are we people who boast about the goodness of our God? Do we give him our time? Do we give him the praise and the honour that's due to him? You know, over here, I love Corrie Ten Boom and I read all her books. And, you know, she, she did a great poem And it says here, although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, and I'll tell you what, this lady had a tough tough gig. I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. And that's what's going to happen for you and I. You know, if we embrace being a slob for God, you know, out there in the world, the definition of a slob is someone untidy, someone unruly, somebody who doesn't want to... Uh, fit in with society, usually someone quite obnoxious. I won't say a word, Russell. If you point to yourself, I can't help that. But, you know, somebody who is unpleasant to be around. But God's definition for us, and I believe the one that he gave me, is somebody who is humble, somebody who thinks about what's best for other people, somebody who serves God and doesn't care at which part of the rung you sit on. 
somebody who believes that God's plan is bigger and better and somebody who is able to be obedient. Let's just have a look at the other scripture I've got up here. Ephesians 1, and this is verses 3 and 6. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear Son. You know, Jesus did come just to sort of have a trip to earth. He came so that you and I could have a living example of what it means to have a servant heart towards God. He was the ultimate servant. He was the one, you know, we might be asked to um, give up our Sundays. It's not such a big deal, is it? You know, to set Sunday apart for the Lord. You know, Jesus came and he was prepared to be humiliated. He was prepared to be challenged every single moment of his ministry. Someone wanted to challenge him. The leaders of the day saw him as a threat. They saw him as being contrary to God's will. But all of a sudden, here we have, like Hannah, somebody willing to give up what is most valuable to them. And God gave up his son and his son gave up his life so that you and I could have eternal life. So it's pretty awesome, isn't it, hey? Pretty awesome. You know, God is faithful to his promises. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we don't see the bigger picture until much further down the track. I can remember a year after my husband had cancer and he came through after having all sorts of terrible diagnosis, might not live, might if he did, he might lose his arm. None of that happened, I've got to tell you. Praise God. But, you know, my boss at the special education unit said, wasn't it wonderful that Tony got cancer? I looked at her, still scarred by the worst year of my life, and thought, are you insane? But she could see God's bigger picture. She was the one that actually sent the elders of the church round to say, could they pray for us? She was the one that already was so much ahead of us in her Christian walk that she knew that God had a bigger plan, that he was going to bring good out of a terrible situation. And you know what? Tony was about to go and have this really radical and imposing surgery that week. But all of a sudden... We had hope. We had something. So we were like Hannah. We could eat again. We didn't feel sick every time we thought about eating. We had hope. We went to the hospital thinking that, you know, this God that these people uh, prayed to on our behalf, these people that stood in faith with us, these people that said, do you want to be saved? And in our naivety, we thought, yep, just get us out of this tight corner. But God had something so much bigger in mind. And so now I stand here before you and I am that woman who says to you, I do love God with all my heart. I love God with all my soul. I love God with all my mind and I give him all my strength. Everything that's in me is now all for him. And I can tell you this is the best life ever. You want to be set free, free of the world's expectations, free of your own expectations. Simply trust God. So let's, uh, let's be slobs together. That's the, the message for today. Let's have that surrendered heart. Let's let go of all our plans, all our desires, and let God take control. Let us be obedient. Let us be servants in his house. And let us believe 
that if we trust him, trust his word and trust his plan, that he will give us the courage and the faith to be able to let him take control. Will you stand with me while we pray? And then I'm going to have a big drink because my mouth feels like cotton wool. That's exactly right, Russell. Always have. That's why God uses me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. You are indeed such a wonderful and amazing obedient servant. When Even when you knew that what the cross would mean, you said to your heavenly Father, not my will but yours be done. And Lord, I pray that that would be the cry of every single heart that's in this room. Lord, that we would be those who stand out because we're different, that we're not there trying to please the world, that we're not going to be, as Romans 12 tells us, conformed to this world, but we're going to let you, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, renew our minds, change our lives, change our perspective, change our attitudes, whatever it may be. Now, that's a dangerous prayer, but you know, Lord, there's no greater freedom than when we throw open the doors of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and we give you back the gifts that you've given us. We give you back the life that you've given us so that we might serve you. And Lord, I pray that as you reveal yourself through your son to each of us, that we would be the imitators of Christ, that we would be humble, that we would have a listening ear, eager to hear what it is that is your plan and your purpose for our individual lives and for the life of this church, Lord, for your body of Christ. So Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that when we look at Sunday morning and we have a better option, a breakfast somewhere else or something on a lay in bed, that we would remember the one who humbled himself even to be crucified so that you and I could be saved. We just want to be those people who set this day aside, set our lives aside and just operate in your plan. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good God. We exalt you the name of your son, Jesus. It is his name that is the name above every other name. And I pray today that we would just have a reset in our mind and our attitude towards your plan for our lives. And in doing that, Lord, that we would be that cohesive and unified body of Christ of one accord, one mind and one love for you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.